Good evening. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 1. Pastor Joe asked me to speak a few weeks ago, and I started praying and thinking about what the Lord would lay on my heart to preach about. And I guess I decided since I'm a music and history teacher, I would just go all the way back to the beginning and uh, cover some of the basics. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. But it is partially due to the fact that I teach history that um, this passage we're going to look at tonight and the truths we're going to take from it um, have been on my mind and on my heart. Um, I get to teach 6th, 7th, and 8th grade history is a wonderful part of my job and I, I enjoy it. Um, but, but every year when we start the school year, our, my history textbooks open with starting at the beginning. We look at Bible passages um, at the beginning in Genesis and look at the beginning of the world and take some truths there that will shape and form the way we take the rest of the course. Um, and as we look at these uh, passages this evening that will be familiar to you and will draw your mind back to truths you've known many, for, for many of you for many years, Uh, My expectation is not to bring some novel, new understanding of these passages to you. Um, In fact, as one of my professors once said, in the fields of theology and history, novelty is never a good thing. But I want to establish and reestablish in our minds and our hearts a key fundamental truth that I hope will be helpful as I endeavor to equip you tonight to live as a Christian in the world this week. We all have a reference point, a core principle or an idea that we use to understand the world around us. We're not always directly aware of it, we're not always consciously using it, but with some careful observation, you'll find that most of your decisions, opinions, conversations, and even thoughts stem from this central reference point, or what I would call your authority. And it guides us and it instructs us and it motivates us to do what we do and go where we go. And this is because God designed us this way. Look down in your Bibles, Genesis chapter 1. And God had just finished the creation account. We see God creating the world and everything in it. And last of all, in a unique manner, after speaking everything else into existence, God forms man with his own hands out of the dust of the ground. And in verse 28, God blessed man that he had made. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. I'm just going to pause and camp there. Just kidding. Um, And subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every other living thing that moves on the earth. When God created man in his own image, when God made a planet and a creation and then set upon it two beings that bear the image of God and, and reflect the qualities and character of God himself, God established himself over man as our authority. These are the first words recorded from God to man, and they are a command. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and do these things. God is man's authority, and man is God's subordinate. Man is God's subject. God gives the commands. Man obeys the commands. But God, as man's authority established man as an authority as well. He says, have dominion 
over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and other every living thing that moves on the earth and, and subdue it. Man's authority given to him by God is an authority that is exclusively and inextricably linked to God's authority. Because in the way that we work out and show our authority over the earth is all direct reference to obedience to God's command to have that authority. God had assigned or given or commanded man to rule creation and to do it in a specific way. So God created man in a way and and set up the relationship such that he was the authority over man and had created the world with a relationship in such a way that man is over his creation. And we see this kind of three-tiered hierarchy here in the creation narrative. God rules over man as man rules over the creation God left for him. And in Genesis 2, we see more of these specific commands. God commands them, among others, uh, to not only just subdue and have dominion, but, but even a negative command to not eat of the specific tree. All, all of the relationship here, all the communication between God and man in the first couple chapters of Genesis establishes the fact that man bears the image of God and is to rule the earth, reflecting God's own authority and ruling over mankind. But we know what happens next, right? The, I, would, I would submit to you that that authority gets questioned. If you would tr- turn over to Genesis chapter 3, at the beginning of that passage, the serpent offers himself to Eve as a new authority. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent comes to Eve as a deceiver and tries to deceive Eve, not partially in her own thinking, but he comes and sets himself up as a, as a new type of authority, a new option. He says, did God actually say this? And then Eve relates the command from God, and, and immediately the serpent rejects it. It says, you will not die. What God has said will happen will not happen. The serpent is challenging the authority that Eve is submitting to. And Eve realized that there was the possibility of a different authority in her life. That authority being herself. If you look back at the passage in verse 6, God records, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Eve realizes that her experience, what she can see, what she can evaluate, what she can handle, what she can taste should influence her decision-making process to the point that even it sets itself over the authority that God had clearly established over her. And in this sin, this first act of humanity, man elevates his authority over God's authority. And because of it, man was changed forever. Man went from perfectly relating to God by submitting to him 
and perfectly relating to his wife and perfect serving love and perfect dominion over the creation God had made for him to a willingness to sacrifice everything on the altar of protecting and obeying himself. Look back at Genesis chapter 3, verse 11, when God questions Adam, he says, Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man says, The woman that you gave me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Adam is willing immediately to sacrifice his perfect relationship with his wife and his perfect relationship with God to make himself look better, to protect himself, to be his own authority. And because man rebelled against God's authority, God caused the earth to rebel against man's authority. Right? We see this pattern developing. Look back at Genesis chapter 3. In verse 17, to Adam, God says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, because you chose a different authority, and have eaten of the tree because you acted in relation to your new authority, of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Man was created to have dominion over and subdue the earth. But in the end, the earth rebels against man to the point that it subdues us, right? Out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. In death, every man, every person, in the end is subdued by that very thing that God created us to subdue, to have dominion over. And this is why life is so hard. Each man, since Adam, lives, eats, breathes, and sleeps, desiring only his own authority. We want our way. And this is now, since the fall, the foundation of the human experience. It's observable from a toddler wrestling a toy from the grasp of another because he wants it, to the very society we live in. Right? Every man is encouraged to be his own boss, his own self-made man. Why would you work for someone else when you can control your life? And in self-preservation, in this act of using and taking our own authority outside of what God created us to have, everything around us, no matter how valuable we think it is, is able to be sacrificed to protect my authority, just as Adam did when he sacrificed his relationship with his wife and his God. So our dominion over the world, our daily task to make a living, raise other humans, learn in school, whatever stage we're in, it is all frustrated by our inability to do anything but serve ourselves. And to add insult to injury, what we are to have dominion over also frustrates our work because God cursed it to do just that. Pastor referenced this this morning from the book of Romans, how creation groans because God has cursed it. It longs for true, righteous authority, and it obediently resists Obediently to God, resist our twisted, sinful authority. But God did not leave us in this situation, right? We know this. We're, there's a lot of Bible after these events. Here we are at church in the house of God. We're claiming to be people who have been rescued by God. And in Genesis chapter 3, before God ever pronounces the curse on the woman, or the man, or the earth, 
he, he curses the serpent, the one who deceived Eve and, and suggested to her the possibility of a different authority and gives the first promise of the good news, the proto-evangelion, that God would do something about man's problem. And we know about this. We know about the coming of Christ and his work on our behalf. But when we trace the coming of the Savior, the one who would save us from sin, the one who would crush the serpent through the Old Testament and into the New Testament, we see that Jesus is so much more than just a Savior. And I'm not trying to diminish the work of Christ on the cross. I'm not trying to diminish his other offices in any way. But Christ did not just pay for our sins to save us from judgment. He came to reestablish his perfect authority on the earth. And you can trace this through different prophecies. In Micah 5, verse 2, he says, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from the days of old, from ancient of days. Zechariah 9, 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 4, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. We could look at countless other passages, but we need to look no further than his own title, right? Jesus Christ. The Greek word Christos coming from the Hebrew word that we translate Messiah, which means the anointed one, the one chosen to rule, the king. So in our very brief consideration tonight of the frustrations of this present life, our, our own frustrated authority problems mixed with the frustration of creation rebelling against our imperfect authority. Um, how do these truths equip us to go into the weak and live for Christ? Well, allow me to ask a few hard questions here. First of all, Christian, have you only received Christ as your Savior with no intention of receiving him as your king. As the one who has sole authority over your days, your choices, and your actions. A Christianity that knows Jesus as savior, but not Jesus as king, is no Christianity at all. Come to him and receive him, because he rescues us not only from the penalty and effects of sin, but he rescues us from the twisted and selfish authority that sin enslaves us to. When you spend time with God, are you seeking a Jesus to save you from hardship and sin? Or are you seeking the will of your king to earnestly obey and worship and submission? When you go to your workplace, when you begin your daily task of discipleship with your kids, when you go to school, do you expect your plans, decisions, and conversations to all go as planned with no frustration? Do you expect your task of dominion, whatever it may look like, to be successful despite your inability to rule? despite the creation's rebellion and with no prayer of not my will, but thine. God graciously gave us the creation mandate, this passage about to having dominion and subduing the earth, not just to Adam before the fall, but he repeats it 
to Noah when he steps off the ark, when sin is in the world, when God has punished sin with the worldwide flood, he repeats the same command. As we go about this, are we really seeking to and expecting to go into a world that resists us and a creation that resists us and our, and our own heart that resists our submission to our king and expect everything to go as planned? Life is hard, just like pastors going through with Ecclesiastes. Our, our own authority can't be trusted. Only the word of God and the God who breathed them, sola scriptura, can be trusted. And it reveals to us not just a heavenly savior, but a conquering king calling us to his kingdom, calling us to live as if he is king. And obeying him as he enables us to accomplish his will of righteous dominion as his image bearers. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you did not leave us in our state of corruption and sin and ruined authority over a cursed creation. Thank you that you sent your son and in humility giving us his example as he came and served us and showed us what authority looks like. Thank you that he is restoring us back to a perfect relationship to him as children to a father, as subjects to a king, as servants to a loving, kind master. Thank you that as we go about our work in this life, that you have called us not just to leave it all behind, but you have called us to do it in a way that is in obedience to you, that you've promised to help us do the things that you've called us to. And Father, most of all, help us to do these things, not because we want to receive glory or that our own authority might grow, but that we may, in all of our actions, point ourselves and everyone around us back to our ultimate authority so that you may receive all the glory and power. We pray in Christ's name.